1: Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 14th day of October, the day after the Day of Rage 2023. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and that kind of sums up the week. But given that there's been so much going on, and yep, to some extent I'm almost certain you've heard a lot of it, but no doubt a lot of it has been lies as well. We'll try to sort through some of that here in the next 50 minutes or so. We'll try to make some sense of the greatest terror event, or the greatest escalation of World War III, or the greatest intelligence failure in 50 years or so, and more likely all of the above. Oh yeah, and let's not forget distraction and big lie to boot. You know, all of that's always part of the equation. And probably the best way to do so is to start, at least, chronologically. The holiday weekend, the final weekend of Sukkot, was in fact literally one of biblical proportions. And I guess when it comes to just exactly how much so, we'll only be able to evaluate in hindsight. But we'll pick up the story as it had emerged by Monday morning, starting from early on Sabbath day in Israel. It's not only a Sabbath, but a high Sabbath called the Last Great Day, Hamas terrorists launched what we're told, at least, was a major surprise attack on Israel. They were caught completely off guard with their pants down, if we can believe that. The Islamist group fired over 5,000 missiles by Monday morning, the numbers closer to 7,000, inside Israel, crossed into southern Israel, killed hundreds of people, including numbers of civilians, by land, sea, and air, then captured innocent civilians and Israeli soldiers as prisoners, took them back to the Gaza Strip, and launched numerous attacks all across southern Israel. And this, coincidentally, occurred just weeks after the Biden Fuhr on 9-11, if you recall, managed to give back $6 billion to Iran. Some said then it was almost certainly a mistake, and it might end up with something almost exactly like this. And as Jim Hoff points out for the Gateway Pundit, the last time the U.S. gave vast stacks of money, literally pallets of $100 bills in one infamous case... Over a billion bucks to Iran during the first Obama regime years, Iran then proceeded to launch a massive military buildup. This time, people are asking the obvious question, just how many missiles can you buy for six billion bucks? Looks like at least 7,000 or so. Plus, obviously, who knows how many mercenaries and suicide bombers. In what was called an urgent and somber address to the nation, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel issued a stark warning to the Hamas terrorists and vowed to use, quote, all the strength of the Israeli defense forces to, quote, destroy Hamas's capabilities. And he warned that people in Gaza had better get out of there because, basically, they were going to level it. This morning, he said on a Shabbat and a holiday, Hamas invaded Israeli territory and murdered innocent civilians, including children and the elderly. Hamas, he said, has started a brutal and evil war, and we will be victorious in this war despite an unbearable price. This is a very difficult day for all of us, and he pointed out that it was almost precisely 50 years to the day, well, at least the holiday fall feast season, since 1973's beginning of the Yom Kippur War. By Monday morning, Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Galat announced a complete siege on Gaza. The blockade includes a ban on the admission of food, water, electricity, and fuel, and the move is seen as the retaliation by Israel against Hamas following the largest attack on that country in decades. Again, since Yom Kippur 1973, Israel officially declared a state of war as of 6.30 a.m. local time on the Sabbath. And the IDF has instituted what they call Operation Swords of Iron to strike back at Hamas and protect Israeli citizens from further harm. On Sunday, the Israeli Air Force released footage of a strike against a compound belonging to the head of the intelligence department of the Hamas terrorist organization and said they continue to strike terror targets in the Gaza Strip. Quote, we're setting up a complete siege of Gaza, said Gallant in a video statement. No electricity, no food, no water, no gas. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals, and we are acting accordingly. Also on Sunday, the puppet regime in Washington ordered the USS Gerald R. Ford Aircraft Carrier Strike Group to move into the eastern Mediterranean in order to allegedly at least be closer to Israel, a sign that all the players are starting to move into position for this latest escalation in World War III. Hamas then said moving the American aircraft carrier doesn't scare us, and the American administration, sick, must realize the consequences of this step. I have no doubt, folks, that they do. Meanwhile, and some analysts are calling this a flashing red sign, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Sunday called for Israelis to leave Egypt as soon as possible. And Egypt, as you may recall, notes Hal Turner, was the first Arab nation to make peace with Israel, and depending upon what course they pursue in Gaza, including a possible ground evasion, peace with Egypt may now be in very real jeopardy. President Donald Trump over the weekend was among those who said in an official press release condemning the attacks and stating that Israel has every right to defend itself using overwhelming force, quote, we brought so much peace to the Middle East through the Abraham Accords only to see Biden whittle it away at a far more rapid pace than anyone thought possible, he said, while crediting Biden for funding the terrorist attacks and added, here we go again. Arguably, the other big development over the weekend was the fact that Hezbollah has not only indicated through at least some Arab sources that they were among those funding Hamas, and multiple sources say the support goes way beyond that, including logistics and planning and so forth. And they, of course, are uh, right there in bed with the Iranian regime. Looks like the Taliban, too, taking advantage of the billions of dollars of weapons, munition, armament, and even things like helicopters that the Biden Fuhrer left for them in Afghanistan, has requested permission to join the fray and deploy weapons that Biden gave them against Israel. The Jerusalem Post is among those reporting that the Taliban has requested free passage across Iran to assist Hamas in Gaza in the war against Israel. Remember, too, that of the 80-plus billion dollars that the Biden-Führer left for the friendly terrorists there in Afghanistan, a lot of it is not movable. Things like the Bagram Air Force Base, for example, are pretty well fixed in position. But that's not necessarily true for the billions upon billions of dollars worth of American military equipment and hardware that now may be deployed against what at least once upon a time might have been called an American ally. By Tuesday, and I guess you could say inevitably, we were seeing stories like this. Courtesy of a number of outlets, but I like Kristen Taylor's take for the Gateway Pundit, there was a... Well, no, there wasn't. There was no 3 a.m. in the morning wake-up call for the fake senile puppet president. The White House admitted that, yeah, a little bit late to the party, but they finally realized there was an attack going on in Israel. It came at 2.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and that was three hours later than those that were even watching the wastream stream news knew what was going on. And then, after a good night's sleep, the senile guy was finally told, better pretend at least to be president for a while. He convened a call at 8.15 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. No doubt after some bacon and eggs and maybe a pamper check, says the story of the Biden regime briefed reporters on background Saturday afternoon after that Hamas terrorist attack on Israel that featured what was called a senior administration official, sick, speaking on the record, but not at least for attribution by name. The official casually tossed out the claim that the imitation White House first became aware of the attack at around 2.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and that the Biden Fuhrer convened a call, isn't that nice, with officials around 8.15 a.m., almost six hours later. But there's no mention of the 80-year-old senile dude being woke up in the middle of the night, and I guess that's the only proper way to put it, because that's the only word that really applies in his case. Because, after all, let's be honest, folks, who would care what he had to say about the situation anyway? You'd get just as much information by waking up your pet hamster and asking him what he thought about the attack. And let's not forget, folks, if there was any real intelligence, pun intended, in Washington, they'd have known about it long before the senile guy hit his nappy time in the afternoon, even. And that reminds me of one more story, folks, that I think is a good way to set things up for today, particularly when it comes to the incompetent drinking the Kool-Aid of the evil. Former CIA Director Sean Brennan, there's an evil one for you, has weighed in regarding the incredible incompetence that allowed this oh-so-unexpected surprise attack to happen without anybody being aware of it for literally days, weeks, maybe months in advance. Even though the U.S. has been giving away billions in cash and, of course, high-tech military equipment to terrorists for, well, we know how long now. Not just the worst military debacle in American history in Afghanistan, but more recently, six billion bucks to the Ayatollah in Iran. So it really is, I would say, disgusting to hear John Brennan pontificate about what he called intelligence failures. How about 51 so-called intelligence officials being unable to identify whether the laptop from hell needed covering up or not? There's a surprise attack for you. They all said, pay no attention to that laptop behind the curtain. The FBI will make sure it stays hidden away. Because while they were claiming it was Russia, 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 it was really, as we now know, treason, treason, treason. Treason. So let's listen to this guy pontificate a bit about intelligence failures and how they could be co-opted by misinformation. <laughs> oh, how ironic. By the way, he appears here with Jen Psaki. She's getting her payoff now from MSNBC, the idiot redhead who preceded Karine Jean-Pierre as the spokesperson for the biggest criminal administration, so far at least, in American history. Or you could say it's Obama's third term. Speaking of what he called the operation against Israel, he said...
0: And Israeli intelligence seemed to be caught totally unawares. Mm. Um, This had to take months and months of planning. I think it demonstrates Hamas really has learned how to carry out this type of planning and not have the Israelis become aware of it.
1: Or just maybe folks, they had help.
0: So, uh, again, the Israeli intelligence is mainly Bet, which is the domestic intelligence agency, as well as the Israeli military intelligence that has responsibility for Gaza. But it does raise questions about, whether or not Israeli sources, both human and technical sources, have been compromised by Hamas, and the Israelis were being fed false information and gave them a false sense of Mm. complacency.
1: Did you catch that? Who could imagine so-called intelligence agencies, well, maybe Donald Trump can at this point anyway, feeding the American people and those that are relying on that so-called intelligence product anything that would be false, like, say, bought and paid for Hitler-Clinton propaganda, and as we now know, crap from Christopher Steele, etc.,
0: and the Israelis were being fed false information and gave them a false sense Mm. of complacency because there were just so many Hamas militants that were involved in this. Again, it just it took many, many months in order to plan this. He almost
1: sounds cocky about it, doesn't he? Then he goes on to talk about how they might have been fed,
0: you know, false information into Israeli intelligence uh, headquarters, as well as some of their technical systems. They might have, you know, found out where they were and being, and then uh, intentionally putting information uh, into that, uh, that again did not give Israel a sense that this planning was taking place.
1: In other words, if you believe that the laptop from hell was Russia, Russia, Russian propaganda rather than a criminal enterprise that took over the United States, well, hey, maybe you'll fall for this one, too. You think we can get away with it one more time?
0: Some of the military tactics used here, I mean, this was advanced military uh, tools that were used
1: here in these attacks. Was that surprising to you? What does that tell you about Hamas's capabilities or who
0: may or may not have been helping them?
1: All right. I'll resist the urge to put in a laugh track here and say, can you believe she actually had the chutzpah to ask that question? But really, I guess it does kind of make sense, even though we know we'll never get an honest answer, if the guys who just gave tens of billions of dollars of high-tech, top-of-the-line U.S. military weaponry to the Taliban and have been arming and training other terrorists worldwide for years can't get away with it. Why, who can? And ask about the likelihood, your host will say, of escalation. Brennan did say about the only thing he said that was really true.
0: I'm very concerned. I think the situation is going to get worse before it gets better.
1: He didn't actually come right out and say it, but you could hear it anyway. Mission accomplished. I guess it is appropriate today to follow that up with this piece courtesy of RT.com and Dmitry Medvedev, who continues to say things that the American press doesn't want to report on, the weapons that Kyiv's Western backers have actively supplied to Ukraine, and of course the big guy no doubt got his cut on too, have now found their way, he suggests, to Hamas militants and are, quote, now being actively used in Israel, said former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev in a Telegram post on Monday, adding that any future military hardware supplied to Kiev could very well end up on the same black market as well. Said Medvedev, it will only get worse from here, predicting that the world should, quote, expect missiles, tanks, and even planes from Kiev on the black market soon. Unquote. And if you haven't figured that out yet, folks, you really just haven't been paying attention. His words came, said RT, amid rumors that Hamas militants that control the Gaza Strip, at least for now, had gotten their hands on some U.S.-made weaponry before the attack on Israel over the last weekend. No solid evidence confirming these claims, says RT, has emerged so far. However, an unverified video circulating online showed a Palestinian militant displaying assorted U.S.-made pieces, including a standard-issue M-136 anti tank grenade launcher while thanking ukrainians for the weapons said medvedev corrupt authorities in ukraine would quote steal everything in sight and he added that western weapons sent to ukraine would soon begin to fuel conflicts in other parts of the world just like the treasure trove of high tech weaponry that americans famously left behind in afghanistan during their botched hasty and biden-like withdrawal from that country in 2021 From there now we need to turn to the elephant in the room. And I remember asking this question. It was probably the very first thing that came to my mind, folks, when I saw the reports of an amazing, unbelievable, who could have possibly imagined such a thing, surprise attack against one of the nations that has probably the best intelligence forces on the planet. How could they possibly be caught so blindly with their pants down? As a matter of fact, there were even stories that IDF had moved forces out of Gaza, leaving their own border almost unguarded, kind of like what the Biden regime's doing to America, and repositioned them elsewhere, just in time for the surprise sneak attack. How stupid do they really think we are? Which leads me to one of several stories on that particular issue. This one comes courtesy of the Armageddon Press and also the Burning Platform and others. One, it begins, would have to be almost hopelessly naive to buy the corporate state media line that the Hamas invasion on a Saturday morning, the final day of Sukkot, was in fact an Israeli intelligence failure. Mossad is one of, if not the, most powerful intelligence agencies on planet Earth, and it routinely shares intelligence, furthermore, with the Five Eyes Intelligence Service, to boot, it has tentacles deep inside every ally and foe of import. Its spies are littered across the Gaza Strip, which is an effective open-air prison into which goods do not flow, but for the blessing of the Israeli state. And arguably, says the peace, the Gaza Strip is the most heavily surveilled geographic area on Earth. And we know that the Hamas invasion of southern Israel was an operation involving tens of thousands of operatives, at least, across land, sea, and air, using all manner of equipment and weaponry, drones, thousands of rockets, countless firearms, even bulldozers and anti-tank weapons, not to mention powered parachutes that were positioned to knock down Israeli fencing or fly right over it. And yet, MSNBC and the other criminally negligent networks would have you believe this was all just a great big intelligence failure by Mossad. Yeah, folks, really, it does kind of strain credulity. Bibi Netanyahu, though, notes the piece, was in real political trouble before this conveniently timed surprise invasion. Reminds me of Pearl Harbor, some might even suggest 9-11. Now, at least in this hope, Israelis will rally around the flag for some particular Palestinian ass-kicking, and their Prime Minister's eminently obvious corruption will, at least for a little while, be forgotten, if not forgiven. And does that sound familiar, too? Meanwhile, Israeli intelligence, rather than being punished for their failure, will use that so-called failure as a pretext to garner more funding and more authorities for itself so as to prevent any such similar failure in the future. And does that, too, folks, sound more than a bit familiar? On Saturday, Bibi even came basically right out and said, Hey, folks, cooperate with the martial law we've got planned now. Almost like Israel's been watching what's going on in the corrupt, once-free United States. Says the piece here, the Hamas invasion was really only a failure if one believes the goal of Mossad is to protect Israeli civilians rather than accrue more power for itself. I can think of a three-letter American agency starting with C and ending with IA that arguably might have similar motives. At a bare minimum, Mossad knew of the attacks as the piece beforehand and let it happen for political convenience. More likely in the view of the author here is that it may have even actively facilitated the attack. And how's that for shocking folks? But again, if we're paying attention, given what we've seen here, it shouldn't surprise anyone. Says the piece in conclusion, the same kind of person who might believe this was a big intelligence whoopsie are the same kind of idiots who might buy into the claim that a handful of semi-literate cave dwellers halfway around the world single-handedly pulled off the greatest terror attack in world history with no assistance from spooks and others who just mysteriously happened to find their passports, the only thing that survived the conflagration, and that buildings with structural fires at the top somehow mysteriously collapsed at freefall acceleration right amazingly into their own footprints. Now that we're a couple of days in, folks, I do think one of the big takeaways here ought to be what is it that Americans can learn from the latest repeat of history, whether you want to call it more like 9-11 or more like Pearl Harbor. It certainly looks like something far worse than just a massive and even unbelievable intelligence failure by what was supposed to be one of the most vaunted intelligence services and sets of agencies in the world, Mossad and Shin ben. And obviously not that the CIA or any of the vaunted three-letter so-called American intelligence agencies had a clue what was going on or at least were willing to tell them either. Although I guess in fairness, if I was Israeli intelligence, given what I've seen out of the Biden, Fuhrer, and the idiots running that regime, I wouldn't trust them either. But Leo Holman is among those asking the question that literally every American should be asking today. Could this be an object lesson for us, whether it comes to the border or the Second Amendment? By now he begins, you've all seen the horrifying images from Israel over the weekend, people being murdered in their own homes, women being pulled out of their vehicles by their hair and raped, men being dragged behind vehicles to their death, spat upon, executed, other people with their babies even, being hauled away on motorcycles to who knows what, but we can probably guess. The victims called the police and the military, which didn't arrive on most of the bloody scenes, for a couple hours or more. Over 250 young kids were killed at a, uh, well, admittedly, place that they shouldn't have been anyway, a rave right there on the border with Gaza. Most of them didn't live to talk about it, but quite a few looked like they may have been kidnapped. Over 40 babies were slaughtered, a number of them beheaded, and I got to admit it, folks, as revolting as it is to even ponder, that sounds like something that New York City's mayor would be really thrilled about. This, let's face it, is evil, the likes of which Americans have literally been prepped for now for quite some time. Says a piece in the Daily Mail, Israeli soldiers were seen comforting each other after witnessing horrors, including the bodies of entire families gunned down in their beds. Said Israeli Major General Etai Varouf of the horrific scene, quote, You see the babies, the mothers, the fathers in their bedrooms, in their protection rooms, and how the terrorist kills them. It's not a war. It's not a battlefield. It's a massacre. It's a terror activity, unquote. Looking at all the images and the carnage, says Leo Holman, many of us ask the obvious question, why didn't the Israelis fight back? And many of us, he continues, myself included, assume that given Israel's been surrounded on all sides by such vicious enemies, and some of them live in such close proximity to a border with millions of people that want them dead, well, we might have assumed that all Israelis live with firearms at the ready in all of their homes and houses and vehicles. That assumption would be wrong, arguably dead wrong. According to my sources, continues Homan, the Israeli government makes its citizens jump through so many hoops, almost Biden-fuhrer-like, That only about 2.6% of Israeli citizens actually own a pistol, and it's virtually impossible to own a rifle. Yes, if you're among the ranks of retired military, you are allowed to own a rifle, but you cannot store it in your home unless you're among the top elite commandos. That answers the question, sort of, why didn't they fight back? They were left as sitting ducks by their own government leaders, who are frankly almost as corrupt as the scumbags in the swamp in Washington. They're not an office to protect the people. And indeed, the more we learn about it, the more it looks like the people were being set up as guinea pigs or maybe live bait for what's been intended to happen and is now in play. And because these leaders are so corrupt, says Holman, they fear the people, and the first order of business for any corrupt government that no longer represents the interests of the people is to disarm them. You can't trust a body politic with weapons if you're screwing them so royally that thievery disguised as heavy taxation... Weighed against the middle and lower classes is the raison d'etre of the three-letter enforcement agencies. You better disarm them, and that's exactly what the Israeli government did to those people who were slaughtered in 29 communities over this past Holy Day weekend. At this point, he includes a video from Dave Kohler, U.S. Army veteran from the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, who explains that we'd better be thankful, at least for now, that we still have a bit of the Second Amendment left in America because our own corrupt politicians would love nothing better than to eliminate it and disarm us too so that they can do exactly to us what's being done to the Israelis. American society, says Holman, is not that different from Israel. We still have lunatic politicians seeking to destroy our own way of life and take away our freedoms. At the same time, we have many, I would say many, many folks, and they're cultivating more daily in the indoctrination centers and at the same time importing them across the southern border too especially in these cesspool cities, who are allowed to roam free with little risk of extended incarceration or, much less, capital punishment at the scene of the crime, from the victims they're able to rob, rape, and kill in those disarmed, gun-free killing zones. The border's been left wide open so that more and more criminals can continue to join the ranks, including folks, and let's not kid ourselves, foreign militaries, Refugees from nations that hate us have been imported since the 1980s, but especially of late legally and with the full support of the various traitors in Congress. The same element that butchered those Jews in Israel is here in America, and they will turn on us. Well, some of us would suggest they already have. It's just not quite as obvious yet as it is when people come paragliding in and start opening fire. And we're already seeing evidence, says Holman, with the pro-Hamas rallies being held simultaneously now in major cities across the USA. All we have left to rely on for our own protection is our personal defensive weapons, our plans, and, of course, our faith in God. When you need the police, you can rest assured they won't be there to protect you. And don't even think about the gay LGBTQIA++ Lloyd Austin military. They've been totally infiltrated, and their members answer to a command structure that begins in the white House. And need I say more? The Second Amendment, says Holman, in conclusion, is the final frontier for American freedom lovers. The First Amendment has been under intense attack for years. It's pretty much a dead letter as well. The globalists who run Washington and many state capitals are now gunning for what's left of the Second Amendment. And once Americans are completely disarmed, they can look forward to what's been happening in the Gaza Strip, coming real close to home. And we'll be right back
0: after this. I think back on all the crap I learned in high school It's a wonder
1: Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. I'm your host, Mark Hall. And honestly, I debated a bit about how to begin this one. There's certainly so much going on besides the escalation of World War III. And there's been so much hysteria, argument, inflammatory video, deceptive video. No doubt some of it's even true. Pushing for retaliation, death, destruction, and yep, even nukes. And that's just New York and L.A. But even those that weren't part of the biden fuhrer inner circle prior to this now seem to be jonesing for blood. And the more of it, the better. And whether or not you believe any or everything that you're seeing on the Wastream News, while truth may be the first casualty of war, the fact that the world has now pretty much reached World War III is more obvious by the day. And as if we needed the proof one more time, we've seen a proliferation of videos, some of them dating back years, even if the media doesn't want you to know that, all kinds of atrocities, again, some of them no doubt true, many of them without question fabricated, and again, it just proves that truth is the first casualty of war, especially when it's a war that's been so long coming, that so many of Big Brother's public-private partners not only stand to make trillions by fomenting, but also get their eugenics jollies by killing hundreds of millions, or maybe even If they really hit the big time, billions in the process. So let's start off today with a couple of shotgun blast stories in different areas and then work our way up to the one thing that you're really not going to hear from the waste stream until it's too late. Oh, and by the way, that may already be the case. Here's one of them right from the heart of the swamp. Representative Steve Scalise, expected to be the compromise choice for Speaker of the House, doesn't seem to be able to pull the final trigger on it and may even have decided to drop out sometime today. The Gateway Pundit reported earlier that Steve Scalise is unlikely to be able to secure those 217 votes needed to become next Speaker of the House. And party insiders told Newsmax that the Louisiana congressman is expected to drop out of the race as early as Thursday. After defeating, at least for a while, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan of Ohio in a slim 113-99 to closed-door victory, Scalise is now struggling to secure the floor votes needed to officially win and take the gavel. As reported, House Republicans held a closed vote on Wednesday to select a new nominee for Speaker of the House. That internal vote came in the wake of Kevin McCarthy's removal, as you know, from the Speaker's chair, initiated by the heroic Matt Gates, who'd had enough of business as usual in the swamp, and decided to hold McCarthy to his word. But now it seems that at least seven Republicans have publicly stated they will not vote for Scalise, but instead will push for Jordan on the House floor while others are undecided and probably will have to make a choice sooner or later. Again, though, says the piece, with Scalise's reported withdrawal, eyes are once again beginning to turn to Representative Jim Jordan as a founding member of the House Freedom Caucus and a stalwart defender of actual constitutional and conservative principles. While others that may emerge include Tom Emmer, the current majority whip of Minnesota, and Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, who leads the largest Republican caucus on Capitol Hill. From another part of the swamp and the bowels of the Biden regime, while Americans in Israel think they probably should be trying to rely on their government for support and protection, the U.S. State Department, and right there you know you got trouble, nowhere close to River City, the State Department's Consular Affairs Crisis Management System, or cacms I find myself thinking CACEM and STACEM, has left many American citizens hanging in the wind, demanding, are you sitting down, folks, that they sign promissory notes to Big Brother as a precondition for any assistance in getting their bodies out of the crisis-hit region. The so-called assisted departure options were outlined in an email sent to Americans stranded in the Middle Eastern nation stating that the United States government would offer loans for transportation if the price is right. The regime's assistance for Americans wishing to get the heck out of Israel will come at a financial cost, and of course, so does living anymore in a police state. Specifically, the email states that, quote, departure assistance is provided via a loan from the U.S. government, which requires travelers to sign a promissory note or agreement to repay, prior to departure. If you wish to leave Israel, it continues, we encourage you to take advantage of this limited time offer. <laughs> uh, back to the quote, U.S. carriers have temporarily suspended flights to Israel, so if you choose to depart, you'll need to fly to an intermediate location and book onward travel from there to the once free United states. We understand that there's high demand from U.S. citizens wanting to get the heck out of there, and flight options are reduced even more than we already did back during the COVID days, if you remember. So we hope to assist U.S. citizens with transport options, if the price is right, but. Due to the large number of U.S. citizens indicating interest in departure assistance, we'll plan to offer transit options over several days. And it may be by sea or air, maybe to a nearby location that's probably not in the United States. Travelers need to be prepared to pay for their own lodging at a safe location and their own onward travel from a third country to their chosen destination. And don't forget, departure assistance is provided via a loan from the U.S. government, which requires travelers to sign that promissory note prior to departure. I'm going to suggest this just might be a related story. Republican Congressman from Florida Corey Mills is not content to follow the biden fewer example and abandon Americans trapped overseas. On Wednesday, Mills successfully evacuated 32 Americans who were stranded in Israel and unable to obtain flights home. TGP reminds us that Mills served in the United States Army as a member of the 82nd Airborne Division, and he told Fox News Digital that he worked with the U.S. Embassy in Jordan. Sharing that many of those he rescued had tried unsuccessfully to get help from the U.S. State Department. Sick. So instead he had to help these stranded Americans move across the Jordanian border to arrange flights back to the United States. He told Fox News, you know, for me, there's a statesman and then there's a politician. One acts while the other talks, and I just couldn't sit there knowing Americans were losing their lives. And look, he said, I'm not making a massive dent in things. There's thousands of people that are trapped there. I just got 32 people out today. I hope to get a lot more tomorrow. He joined Laura Ingram and also shared that, quote, we're getting a ton of requests from Americans who were stranded. And unfortunately, once again, the State Department is playing everything on a hope and a prayer. And I don't think the prayer part has anything to do with the new U.S. State Department, folks. But he said they have no real strategy. And he added, I put all of this 100% on the Biden administration. Sick. Biden released $6 he said. It's still fungible and very easily movable income that they have. We're literally funding, he continued, the very terrorism that's hitting our allies and endangering Americans, as well as leaving billions of dollars in Afghanistan that's now finding its way into these war zones to be utilized against Americans. And when it comes to the regime, he again said, quote, weakness invites aggression. I can tell you now, as an elected official, I'm not going to stand for it. If I have to come over here to do it, to do Joe Biden's job, then so be it. And that may be the only place where I need to correct him, folks. People are beginning to realize that Joe Biden's job obviously has nothing to do with protecting Americans or defending the country or honoring the Constitution. Joe Biden's job, and more and more people are starting to figure it out, is to destroy this country, lock, stock, and barrel. And furthermore, let me make one other observation when it comes to rescuing Americans from incompetence overseas resulting in world wars. If these were illegal aliens or actual terrorists wanting to come back in the United States and they were at the southern border, you know they'd be paying their way, don't you? And then giving them bus or plane tickets to go anywhere they wanted in the country? What the hell is wrong with Americans overseas that they don't rate the same kind of protection that foreign invaders do? Well, I guess right there, that helps make the point. One more shotgun blast before we start trying to clear away the smoke and tell you what really matters, that they're not about to. Debunking the debunker says yet one more piece from the Gateway Pundit, courtesy of Brian Lupo this time. Community notes that claim to have debunked Donald Trump Jr.'s posts have themselves been debunked. In other words, when it comes to videos online, you better take them all with a grain of salt. But sometimes the liars are lying about the other lies. On Tuesday afternoon, this one says Donald Trump Jr. posted an extremely graphic and extremely disturbing video that shows a roomful of at least seven men that were brutally murdered. A gunman, just in front of the camera, fires several rounds at a body after its arm moves slightly. The post from Donald Jr. read, "Quote: You don't negotiate with." This There's only one way to handle this, video from source within Israel. And yes, it is very graphic. It was online for a while. Not now, though. The service formerly known as Twitter, now just a great big X tagged Donald Jr.'s post with community notes and a claim that, quote, the video is not from the current conflict and can be traced back to 2015, whereupon it posted a link to an Iranian socialist media site, and several outlets and social media users then criticized President Trump's oldest son, how dare you post something which is not true, (laughs) and these are probably people that believe anything they see on CNN or MSNBC. Turns out, though, that there was more to it, wired later, verified that the community notes, in fact, was wrong itself. Quote, Wired magazine has now verified that the Community Notes system appears to be wrong. According to an independent OSINT or OSINT analysis published Wednesday, the video that Trump Jr. posted is real. It was recorded during Saturday's attack and does show Hamas fighters shooting Israelis, said the analysis. And in the case of Donald Trump Jr.'s video, the Community Notes users linked the video posted to Iranian social media and the platform called Wizgoon, as evidence that the video was from years ago, not the past. The update on the video is in Persian, which, in fact, translated reads 15 Mer 1402, a Persian calendar date, which translates to the Gregorian date, 7 October 2023, the date that Hamas attacked Israel. There's a lot more to the story, but bottom line is, are they lying when they say the others are lying and... Remember, folks, truth is the first casualty of war. What I thought was interesting was when I pulled up the article and tried to go to Donald Trump Jr.'s post, guess what? The video is still deleted. And by now, folks, you've probably seen lots of videos purporting to be of all kinds of atrocities. And I'll say it again. Some of them are probably true. It's just a question of knowing which ones are fakes, which ones are, like we've seen before with various so-called three-letter American news agencies, file footage from literally years ago, which are outright lies, and of course nowadays you have to ask, which are AI-generated besides. Remember, the movie Wag the Dog came out during the first Bill Clinton regime that warned us about something that we've been dealing with, even if most Americans still don't realize it, ever since. From here, let's talk about the other element that I keep alluding to. Trends researcher Gerald Salenti has made famous some of his long-term observations, like when people lose everything, they lose it, and ultimately, when all else fails, they take you to war. I think we're seeing that again now, writ large. That's especially true if the biggest meltdown in human history is about to come to the fore, so we need the biggest war in human history to cover it up. To distract people from it and make them realize, hey, you got worse things to worry about than losing your 401k, your home, and everything you've worked for all your life, and your children, too let 's start with this story. I saw it in a number of places, but usually zero hedge is the place to go to when it comes to economic data. following august bigger than expected jump in consumer prices, driven of course by surging energy prices as well as healthcare methodology changes yeah let's change how we calculate the numbers to hide what we don 't want you to know september's CPI was expected to slow. Well, at least the claim was a teeny bit, while the year-over-year pace was inclined, they said, to inch back lower, maybe from 3.7% to perhaps 3.6% after rebounding for two straight months. But no! Instead, headline CPI came in modestly hot at up 0.4%, year-over-year 3.7%, and that is now the third monthly rebound in a row. Hmm. As if all those interest rate hikes that are destroying the rest of the economy haven't had the desired effect. No surprise, folks, when people aren't producing things, period, what is available tends to cost more, especially if they're printing dollars without limit. Core CPI rose 0.3% month over month, says the story, according to Bloomberg, and it still hasn't been below 4%, which is twice the official Fed goal since May 2021. And by the way, if you could find John Williams and his excellent shadow stats numbers, the key is he calculates them the old-fashioned way, the way they used to before they decided it was better to rig them and hide from people. What's really going on? Well, those numbers are getting harder to find as well. But still, rest assured, 4% is nowhere close to the real number, if you knew what it was. What you do know, though, is their lips are moving. Almost everything you can see, and a lot of stuff you aren't, is showing double-digit inflation or worse. Understand this, that when the economy collapses and the dollar is no longer the world reserve currency, the kind of inflation we're looking at now, bad as it seems, will look really tame by comparison. Better get rid of those hot fiat bucks while you can, because uh, the time window draws short. But hey, on the other hand, so is the time window for everything else. This next item is another piece from Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, former U.S. Undersecretary of the Treasury, back when there were actually people with some honor in those positions during the Reagan administration, who was asked about the unprecedented resignation of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the third person in the state hierarchy, says the intro here, and whether or not that's evidence of the serious political crisis that's currently afflicting the swamp. To what extent, he was asked, in your opinion, is this assessment fair? What does it indicate? Well, says Dr. Roberts, for one, the Speaker didn't resign. He was removed in keeping with a provision in an actual agreement that McCarthy signed with the Republicans who initially opposed him and said, if you want to be in that position, here's what you got to do. McCarthy agreed that as Speaker, he would use the office to put up more of a fight for Republican agendas than establishment Republicans, as uh, Dr. Roberts, are wont to do. And part of the agreement was a clause that said that those Republicans who provided McCarthy the votes he needed to be in there in the first place can also vote him to be removed as Speaker if they believe he isn't keeping to the terms of their original signed agreement. And he didn't, and they did. But, continues Dr. Roberts, McCarthy's removal is unrelated to the American political crisis. He was removed simply because he didn't keep his part of the bargain, a private bargain at that. McCarthy knew that the Republicans would not vote to remove him, but it seems he overlooked the fact that the Democrats would vote with the dissident Republicans in order to take him out and take advantage of the worsening relations between the few Republicans who are principled and the majority who go along to get along. Roberts was asked, is there a possibility that if the Republican faction fails to agree on a nominee for Speaker, a Democrat would instead take the office? And how productive for the work of Congress, there's a stupid comment, would such a combination be? Especially since it's the Speaker who controls the prioritization of bills that are put forward for discussion and votes in the House. Well, said Dr. Roberts, the Republicans are the majority in the House by a few votes. A Democrat could not be made Speaker without Republicans voting for him. And the dissident Republicans are in a position to insist on a more principled leader, and even in Congress, folks, that shouldn't be too hard to find, than McCarthy. If the rhino Republicans, says Roberts, decide to take vengeance on the few principled Republicans and vote for a Democrat, they're likely to lose their standing with their own constituents. And as for Ukraine, continues Dr. Roberts, that's an issue, but not that important an issue. And your host adds, since the latest escalation in World War III, it's basically disappeared from view anyway. The important issue, says Roberts, is that the Democrats are abusing power with unwarranted indictments and prosecutions of Trump and his lawyers and now just about everybody else with an R anywhere close to their name, while ignoring the documented, dangerous, and really heinous, up to and including murder and treason, crimes of the Biden Fuhr, his son Hunter and just about everybody else that works for three other agencies and has helped to cover it up. The FBI has become, he says, a political police that is being used against Republicans and your host will add just about everybody that still believes there ought to at least be a rule of law. U.S. foreign policy, continues Dr. Roberts, is controlled by neocons and their policy is to prevent the rise of other countries that could serve as obstacles to U.S. unilateralism. That policy is unrealistic, but the Neocons have had control of U.S. foreign policy since President George W. Bush, that is, for the entirety of the 21st century. Donald Trump, he knows, became a marked man when he said he intended to give the country back to the people and normalize relations with Russia. And he offended the ruling elites by challenging their power, and he offended the neocons and powerful military security complex by threatening to take away from them the Russian enemy that nourishes and sustains them. Meanwhile, says Dr. Roberts, spending issues are likely on hold until the new speaker is settled upon. And this means there's an opportunity for Russia to use sufficient force to end the conflict while Washington is not only paralyzed, but now looking towards the latest front in World War III. Roberts was asked about Russian media which they said pays a lot of attention to the illegal proceedings against Donald Trump and the Biden-Führer family. How seriously is all this taken by Americans, though, and by you personally, they ask? And what political consequences can all these manipulations have in the long term? Well, says Roberts, there are currently, and this should be obvious, folks, no legal proceedings against the Biden crime family. The U.S. Department of Justice and the FBI instead have protected both Biden and his criminal son, despite the massive evidence that's already in their hands, such as incriminating information on the Hunter Biden laptop from hell and classified national security documents dating from the Führer's days as vice president that have been found in places like Biden's homes, garage and storage facilities. The legal charges brought against Trump are like all the others since the 2016 Russiagate impeachments, document DocumentGate, StripperGate, January 6th so-called insurrections, and so on. They have no basis in law or much less even in reality. And he says they're brought by Trump-hating black prosecutors in New York State, New York City, and Fulton County, Georgia, and they're all nonsensical on their face. Still, though, Trump and his co-defendants have to pay attention to those bogus charges because the prosecutors are known enemies of Trump and all of his supporters. The judges are far-left Democrats who don't want Trump as president. They don't want him to speak or even walk the streets freely, folks. And the trials will be held in Democrat jurisdictions where the stacked juries will be far-left Democrats and largely black. There's no outcry against this legal atrocity from the legal profession, from the law schools, from the bar associations, and very little from Congress, he says, So we face the possibility that Trump can and will be falsely convicted and forced to spend the rest of his life appealing bogus convictions. How the American people will take this, he says, I don't know, might make them very angry and unwilling to accept the use of law as a weapon against Trump and the traditional American electorate. We can hope so, folks, because otherwise the only option is that we descend even further into a tyrannical police state. On the other hand, says Dr. Roberts, the people might conclude that their country's been lost and literally nothing can be done anyway, and so they'll just give up and submit to the rule of unaccountable power. And that's almost undoubtedly the worst possible case outcome unless you realize it's probably also associated with a complete communist Chinese party takeover and then the completion of the genocide of what's left of the American people. To the point, folks, where it'll probably make what's about to happen in Gaza look tame by comparison But already, continues Dr. Roberts, this has gone far further than just Donald Trump. Everywhere people see the political use of law as punishment by every federal department in the Biden regime. Mike Lindell, a Trump donor, has been slapped with five audits by the Internal Revenue Service. Lawyers can't defend Trump without being punished. Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York, has been slapped by that same... IRS with a tax and penalty bill of $550,000 and a lien on his home. Elon Musk is being investigated, sick, by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission for the purchase of Twitter because uh, how dare he do that and actually think that free speech could make a comeback. Democrats, he says, hate Musk because he revealed that the FBI, in fact, had been a secret force behind Twitter to censor all who disagreed with the Biden Fuhrer's narratives. The list is long. So, concludes Dr. Roberts, I'll define for you America's real political crisis. Their belief system has collapsed. The elites no longer believe in the Constitution that wants to find the country, much less the Declaration of Independence, your host adds here. Students in law schools and journalism schools are taught that the U.S. Constitution is a racist document and an instrument of white oppression of people of color. They're also taught that the Constitution stands in the way of what's called social progress. They left out the ist, by which they mean the use of law not as a shield of God-given, once-protected rights, but as a weapon for coerced change, based on ideological beliefs and commitments that are contrary, not only to the rule of law, but the very God of the Bible, your host notes. What it boils down to, says Dr. Roberts, is this. In America, you're no longer innocent until proven guilty. You're guilty because you're White, or because you're a MAGA type, or a Trump supporter, and no other evidence is necessary. The Democrats have put 1,000 Trump supporters in prison already just because they attended a rally for Trump. Traditionally, says Dr. Roberts, American liberals, back when they knew what the word meant, base their demands for reforms not on appeals to goodwill, but on denunciation of the existing society, which made it easy for the cultural Marxists to march through those institutions and discredit Western civilization and the institutions that once embodied it. Today, in American universities, no student ever hears anything affirmatory about his own country. Instead, they learn that it's something that must be deconstructed, reconstructed, and uh, built back better, journalism students learn that objectivity is no longer the purpose of reporting and that news is a weapon to be used to remake society. Law students learn that the law is not a protector of pre-existing, even natural or God-given rights, but a weapon to be wielded to revolutionize society. Consequently, the U.S. no longer has any journalists, only propagandists, and the rule of law has been discarded, literally turned on its head. The United States is on the verge, he says, and I would say, nope, this is the only place where he got it wrong, folks, we're there. But in any case, of becoming a tyranny. And that, he says, is the real American political crisis. Your host will go one step further, folks, but it's very much related. What the Bible calls dishonest weights and measures and an abomination, the rest of the economic world calls fiat currency, or just plain a fake Remember that the infamous Mayor Amschel Rothschild said over a 100 years ago, give me control of a nation's money and I care not who makes its laws. Well, what we see now is that the result is utter lawlessness. Oh yeah, tyranny is really a side effect.